I, I'm not Allison. She'll be up here in just a second. But thank you, Hayden, for that prayer. I would like to echo just back to you, Ryan, that not only has it been a blessing and a season of healing and growth and joy for you, it's been for us as well. And I just want to extend to you um, as a friend and elder, a member here, that we have been blessed by you and Carrie and your entire family being here with us. So we just want to extend a thanks to you as well, as much as you did to us. So thank you so much. It's been, a good, it's been a good year, and it's going to be a greater year ahead of us, so I'm very excited. I'm here to read our passage for this morning that Allison will be teaching out of. If you'd like to follow along or open up your Bible or your phone with me, um, Luke 15, verses 11 through 22, the parable of the lost son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, to share of, <clears throat> I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you, heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Uh, thanks, Scott, for reading that passage for us. I was hoping that we would have what's known as the lower third on him. See up there how it has Alice and Nakuni, and it has my job title. I was hoping that Scott would say elder, and it's like an inside joke for me. Uh, because what we're going to be doing today is focusing on somebody else who's in the story today, and it's the elder, the elder son. So we're going to be continuing in Luke 15. Um, Last week, what we did was we reviewed a really sweet story. It actually is kind of like my jam to talk about how much our Father loves us, how we get lost, and how he brings us back home. And so uh, that was really sweet. If you haven't been able to see that yet, or if you need kind of that encouraging type of message, uh, definitely go back in the archives and read through it, uh, or watch it. This is not going to be such a message. Just, just forewarning you there. Uh, to kind of 
recap where we were last week. Uh, we had talked about the son who had gotten lost, and uh, he was far from home. He came to his senses. He came back home. The dad welcomed him, forgave him, fell on his kissing him. And here are the three things that we learned last week. God's kids sometimes get lost too. And that we learned that God loves our our loved ones even more than we do, and so as a result, his plan to find us is greater than our plan to get lost. He's able to see in the dark. He can orchestrate circumstances to bring us home and reach across the ocean to meet us. And he can bring us back home, which is in relationship with him. That's what home means. It was such a compelling message to share. But today, like I said, we're concluding the parable, and it's not as like sweet. And this is really hard for me because I'm an Enneagram Nine, and a conflict and me, we don't get a, we don't get along. And so for me to think about reading through this confrontation here, or what I like to term a carefrontation, that like softens it a little bit for me. <laughs> I brought myself a tool because I knew that I would need to lean on this tool in order to. Like if we have anything challenging between us here. So I know the Enneagram A's are just like salivating at this moment. They're like, bring it, bring the conflict. Any Enneagram A's? Come on. <laughs> Tina, come on. <laughs> John and Cody, come on. Anyhow, okay, I'll share with you my tool, and it's this. Uh, for every uh, confrontational message that you might perceive coming from this stage today, and it's in light of God's word, and you're like, dude, gosh, you're like showing me hard things. I want you to know it's a double-sided mirror. I'm looking back at it, and this side is magnified. The one I'm looking at is magnified. And so I am also using this as a tool in my own life to examine my own heart as I apply God's word into my, my, my formation as a Christian. Okay, so if you feel like there's a time I'm showing you, you know that I have spent far more time. It says seven times. Seven times the magnification. <laughs> I am looking at myself seven times harder than I am looking at you. If that makes it makes it all good between us. All right? Let's get to the confrontation, huh? <laughs> there's a little anger in this passage. There's anger in this passage. Um, but let's pick it up at the party, okay? We, Scott left off with uh, the son coming home. There was a ring. There was a fat calf that was being killed in order to barbecue and celebrate together. And so in verse 24, we pick up, and it says, so they began to celebrate. The homecoming party's begun. The whole neighborhood is there-ish, except for one person, and this is where it goes. Now his older son was in the field, the elder son. As he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the slaves and asked what was happening. The slave said, hey, your brother returned. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he got his son back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. Rut, rut. <laughs> Rot row. Yeah. Okay, okay, here's, it, here's, here's the older brother. It's hard to say a whole lot about his character at this point, but here's my guess, is that if your first response 
is anger, that may tip you off that there's some family issues happening here. And so there's issues in the family. But what's up with his brother? Why is he not glad that his younger brother is back? Safe and sound. What is Jesus referring to here or inferring? As we recall, Jesus was speaking to a crowd. The, this chapter had opened up with Jesus having dinner with sinners. And the religious leaders were criticizing Jesus for that. And they were wondering, like, that is super suspect. Why would he do why would he have dinner with these people? Tax collectors, prostitutes, anyone who was outside God's law was considered a, a sinner. Um, they were not morally reliable, and they couldn't serve as witnesses or as judges in this in this court back then. And so the Pharisees are are horrified to see Jesus speaking with such people. And all these parables start pouring out of Jesus. Used to mean something that's doctrinally sound. So check this out. Jesus uses that word earlier in Luke. He says, it's not those who are healthy, hugiano, who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then in Titus 2, Paul links conduct with sound, believe, sound doctrine for believers. He says to those who are corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but as for you, teach what is consistent with sound, hugiano, doctrine. So it's not the healthy that need a physician, it's those who are sick. So this younger brother has come back sound, safe and sound. It sounds like even his doctrine is in line. And that means like the essentials for what he believed about God, those are true and accurate now. He's got his doctrine sound. And the older brother is ticked. The older brother is ticked off. And he's not gonna come into the celebration as a result. What is up with that? Isn't this what he would have wanted? Imagine him outside. The party is happening in the house, and he's outside in the dark, like maybe on the driveway. Maybe he's smoking. I just picture him like, well, no, 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 no. Actually, he wouldn't be smoking. That's like, yeah, no, he does everything right, and probably he's read that smoking is bad for you, so he has not done that. So, so the, the dad comes out. This is how it goes. The father seeks him out. The father came out and appealed to him. But he answered his father and said, look, look. Oh, I am telling you, if I started a conversation with my dad that way, look, that probably would be the end of the conversation, <laughs> right? That would have been the last word. So he continues, hey, look, look, these many years I've worked like a slave for you and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never even gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back, who, the one who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Okay, P.S., how much would you have loved to hear Jesus use this little sassy, spicy speech here right now? I think that would have been super fun to be in the audience. It's even fun when I get to be spicy. But it would have been fun to watch, watch Jesus do that too. So the elder brother is laying out all the issues here for the father. It's pretty clear what's wrong. Last week, some of us identified with the younger brother, and some of us may identify with the older brother. What does an older brother or elder brother's spirit look like? Well, 
he's letting us know. Elder brothers obey out of fear. Elder brothers obey out of fear. He said, I was a slave to you. I never disobeyed your commands. The reason and motivation behind all of his actions is revealed when he uses that word slave, right? Because do slaves ever serve out of love, delight, and gratitude? No, absolutely not. They're enslaved. (laughs) Listen to this. In the book, Prodigal God, Timothy Keller says this. To be sure, being faithful to any commitment involves some certain amount of dutifulness. Often we don't feel like doing what we ought to do, but we do it anyway for the sake of integrity. But the elder brother shows us his obedience to the father is nothing but duty all the way down. There's no joy or love, no reward in just seeing his father pleased. In the same way, elder brothers are fastidious in their compliance to ethical norms. And in fulfillment of all traditional family, community, and civic responsibility. But it is a slaveless, slavish, joyless drudgery. A slave works out of fear. Fear of consequences imposed by force. This gets to the root of what drives the elder brother. Ultimately, elder brothers live good lives out of fear, not out of joy and love. This text moves on to show another characteristic, a second aspect of this elder brother. He says when, he says, you never even gave me a goat. You never rewarded me. Elder brothers obey out of fear and they also expect a reward and they expect it to look a certain way. Elder brothers defined reward distinctly. This dude wanted a goat party. He wanted a goat party. That's how, that's how he would have received love from his, his dad. But listen, he's in the actual home of his father. He lives there with him in the presence of goodness itself. And because of that, every blessing is available to him. And he wanted a goat party. I could see making a case for a goat cheese party, by the way. I would be down for that. (laughs) But the goat was speaking of in contrast to that fattened calf. The calf was highly prized, valuable, a piece de resistance for the neighborhood barbecue or feast. The goat, by contrast, was less valuable. In a way, it would be like saying, you took my brother to Canlis, and yet you don't even take me to Dick's, right? (laughs) Canlis, Dick's. The other, the older brother is revealing his jealousy that the father would celebrate so lavishly. Not to mention, just as an aside, this is interesting to me, he's speaking, like the spending is coming out of that older brother's bank account. Because as you recall last week, the little brother took off with a third of the estate, right? He took what was his, and then he wasted it. There's not a penny left, right? So then that means all the rest of the estate belongs to the older brother. And so that canless like treat, like, come on, neighborhood, we're taking you all to Canlis. That's coming out of the elder brother's account, okay? So, like, I almost can sense a little bitterness myself about that, but anyhow. Um, he didn't think this was kosher. Hey, so back in the day, I taught fifth grade, and 
there, there's, there's proof. That's my first class back in the day. Part of my education training was learning classroom management skills, which is the concept of motivation and reward. What things would make a classroom walk in a line? Do silent reading all together. Like, what, how does one manage a classroom? Part of it was knowing, like a wise teacher would know, what things deserved a sticker and what things would deserve that like coveted marble in a jar that would earn the pizza party, right? Like there's differences between those. And yet a really wise teacher would not give an extrinsic reward for everything. What you want to do is have your student have intrinsic motivation. They want to do it because doing the right thing feels good. And I feel like I'm like, I don't know, I'm getting something out of it from the inside. You don't have to always give me a sticker. So, how brutal is this light? Is this really bad if I bring this out? Um, time to look in the mirror then. Christian, is it bad? Is it terrible? Got you. <laughs> now I know I can use it, all right. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, I digress. Time to look in the mirror in terms of extrinsic and intrinsic rewards. Do I expect that after I serve or I give or I practice a spiritual discipline, do I receive recognition or affirmation? Is that my expectation? And if it is, who do I expect that to come from? Do I expect that after five hours five days or five years of service and good citizenship at church that the Lord should reward me in some way? At the very least, can I hoard my marble jar and not have to share it with my brother? This is all coming out of my marble jar. I never even got a goat party, he says. The elder brother is living in the presence of his father and because of that, every good thing is available. Endless grace, bottomless mercy, provision for not just physical hunger, but my heart hunger as well. The presence of love himself is with me. And so when I look in the mirror, I have to ask myself about my expectations of God. One defining thing to ask, why am I here today? You. <laughs> ask that. Why are you here today? Why did you serve or give or pray? Is it because we want to be where he is and do what he did? Or is it to strike a deal? I want healthy kids. I want a good job. I want a good reputation and a bright future. If I do all those good things and hardship still happens, do I think, why me? Do I think you owe me? Can you see a glimpse of the elder brother in the mirror? Does God owe me? Maybe not a goat party, but does he owe me protection from hardship? If something harmful or sad occurs, am I ticked? 
Do I think my good behavior was insurance against trials or adversity? Tim Keller said it this way, to truly become Christians, we must also repent of the reasons we did anything right. Were we just serving and obeying all along just for a goat party? Elder brothers expect rewards to look a certain way when the true, rela- true reward is relationship with the Father. P.S. He's got such better gifts to give than a goat party. So elder brothers, they obey out of fear. They expect reward to look a certain way. But let's keep this also in mind. Elder brothers are lost too. The last attribute of an elder brother spirit is seen in verse 30. This son of yours, the one who's devoured all of your assets with prostitutes, he said, This son of yours, such an alienating, othering kind of phrase. Does it not just, like, where's the family connect in this? Where's the relationship in that kind of a phrase? The brother's heart is far from his brother's. He can't even call him by name or relation. Look, this son of yours, he doesn't even say, my brother. He also is renaming the offense as leverage against his brother. In essence, he wants his dad to like remember that there's a penalty that should be invoked at, around this time. This is yet another sign of unforgiveness and hardness of heart because the father has forgiven, but the elder son has not. Robes, rings, and calves belong to me, the moral and righteous one. Aren't there consequences for what your son just put us through? We see in this brother a judgmental and spiritually narcissistic character. We worry about God's justice. We worry it might be too lenient. Worry that the bad will not be fully punished. We worry that there may not be a hell. But we should worry less about those things and more about our own incapacity to forgive, to let go of our own hurts, take delight in life to give others the sheer gaze of admiration, to celebrate and truly join in the dance. To be fit for heaven, we must let go of our bitterness. This bitterness is what's keeping the older brother outside the house in the dark. It's keeping him outside of the family. It's keeping him from fellowship and connection with the family. We've attributed too easily the word lost to that younger brother who was, because he was distanced from himself or distanced from his father physically. But in this example, we see how another type of brother can be lost, distancing himself, maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. Andre Nguyen says it this way, The more I reflect on the elder son and me, the more I realize how deeply rooted this form of lostness is and how hard it is to return home from there. Returning home from a lustful escapade seems so much easier than returning home from a cold anger that has rooted itself in the deepest corners of my being. So as it turns out, this parable is not just about one lost son, it's about two. 
This is how Jesus concludes the parable. Then the father said to the elder son, son, you're always with me. Everything that I have belongs to you. It was appropriate to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but is found. End scene. (laughs) That's where Jesus leaves us off. It's like a tough closure, isn't it? We don't know. Did the elder brother go in? There's like tension in the air that Jesus is allowing just to sit there. And all the people who are listening, both the sinners and the saints, the righteous, they're all listening saying, well, like, what happened next? Did the older son go in? Was there a reconciliation? I think Jesus leaves the tension there for us to not know the end of that story because he wants everybody who's listening to reckon with it themselves. If I am the lost younger son far from my father, will I be reunited with him and return home? If I'm the lost elder son far from my father, will I be reunited with him and joyfully share my home? Arbor, we've asked a lot of questions today without many answers. They're meant for personal reflection, and it's my prayer that the Spirit is working in us, revealing what it is that we should know about our position with the Father. The circumstances we wrestle with today are known between us and the Lord only, whether or not you identify more with the younger or the elder son. But know this, both sons are lost, and both are worth finding. And for both, Jesus laid down his life to sacrifice and rescue them from the bondage of sin, whether or not it was a pigsty or a prison of pride. As we close, we're going to turn our attention now to the other son in the story. It's the son who's telling the parable. He is the father's son who left home in heaven to seek and save the lost, us, us. He's the one running on the road to unconditionally love the humbled, homeward child. He's the one stepping out of the party into the dark to appeal to an embittered elder son. And unlike a brother who would abandon you or deny you, Jesus is the true older brother we needed. Jesus is the true older brother we need. Jesus, who makes people holy, and those who are made holy are from the same family, so he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Since these children have physical bodies, Jesus became like them. He did this so that by dying, he could destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and free those who were like slaves all their life because of their fear of death. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way so he could be their merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Then Jesus could die in their place and take away their sins. If you are lost, He will seek you out. 
He left home to find you and ransom your soul, not just by emptying a bank account or a marble jar, but by pouring out his blood, his life, to free you. This is the brother we needed. He has reconciled us as a family, bringing others who are far from home. He brought them near so we could love them. Youngers, elders, all are included. All are redeemed from those chains of sin. And he's placed us together in this family. This is the brother we needed. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it talks about a feast in heaven that to celebrate our homecoming. And it's not just one that Jesus is attending himself, but he's the host. He is rejoicing when we're safe and sound. He has gone to every length possible to make it happen. This is the brother we needed. This is the brother we want to be like. We want to be with Jesus, become like him, and do what he did. And at this time, I feel like this is the perfect time for us to celebrate communion, to celebrate all that he has done for us. So if you'll take the communion that was at your seat and hold it in your hands for a moment, I'm going to pray before we take it. I know I sped through this so fast. I was so excited to share the end of the story and get to the end of the carefrontation (laughs) and get to the reconciling part. But let's quiet our hearts for a moment. And if you feel that there is a point of confession that you want to express between you and the Father in terms of your relationship with him, this will be that time. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we confess that we have distanced ourselves from you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our brother as ourselves, but for the sake of your son Jesus, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will, walk in your way for your glory, Lord. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup And when he had given thanks, he said, drink, you, all of this. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's continue our worship as we celebrate all that he's done.